This is Crossroads, a Get Religion podcast. Here's a rather clunky headline from Baptist News. World Magazine editor quits as Moeller takes lead on adding opinion content to a uniquely reporting-centric publication. The New York Times, on the same story, his reasons for opposing Trump were biblical. Now a top Christian editor is out. Of course, they're talking about World Magazine editor Marvin Alasky leaving that, well, that magazine that was synonymous with his name for decades. Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. Why did the New York Times think that Marvin Alasky's leaving this evangelical magazine was a big story? And they wrote a rather lengthy story on it. Oh, yeah, it's a big story. And I think there's the reason, and then there's the reason that the journalist who wrote the story learned that this was an important story. But the reason they wrote the story can be summed up, of course, in one word, Trump. And you saw this, you know, in the language that was used. Let's see, what was the double-decker headline? His reasons for opposing Trump are biblical. Now top Christian editor is out. Second line, a clash over culture and politics comes to world, a groundbreaking journalistic institution that covers evangelical Christians. What well, does a lot more than cover evangelical Christians, as anyone who knows the publication? They tweeted out, though, a phrase from down in the story that I think captures the tone, and it said that what we had here was another major evangelical institution, quote, is conquered by Trump. So I think the key word here from the viewpoint of editors or something is Trump. Let me read that passage. On one level, Mr. Olasky's departure is just another example of the American news media sinking deeper into polarization as one more conservative news outlet, which had almost miraculously retained its independence, is conquered by Trump. Now, retained its independence makes it sound like Trump is not going to be running this publication. I also think, as someone who's been critical of world and Marvin and I, I should stress for our listeners, Marvin and I are friends. We have been friends for like three decades. And as I put it in the piece at Get Religion, if I was hanging off a cliff, I would want Marvin to hold the rope. He's a very unusual man. We can have some you know, discussions about that if you wish. But Marvin and I have disagreed through the years on many issues related to journalism. But the key to this whole story is that world magazine has done independent group accountability reporting. Now, how that is published, whether it's old-fashioned journalism or kind of evangelical muckraking or whether you agree with his style or not, the simple fact of the matter is that this is a publication that has been doing a lot of groundbreaking news reporting, quoting sources, quoting documents, and doing the things that hard news publications do. If I was going to compare this world magazine to anything in the world of 
secular publications. I would say that World Magazine is for the world of cultural conservatives what the New Republic used to be for the American old-fashioned left. It was a magazine that had commentary in it, but everybody turned to it for hard news reporting. And you could even say, as I once told the New York Times in an earlier profile of Olasky, I said Marvin was running the evangelical version of Rolling Stone. I mean, in the sense that, you know, music, movies, culture, whatever, he was covering all of that in a magazine format for his audience. So I have no doubt whatsoever that some people at the Times see this as nothing but a revenge of the Trump people story. But if you read the whole New York Times piece, it's clear that the reporter came to see it as a much deeper issue than that. So I want to stay there for just a moment because I seriously doubt that Alaska himself would characterize World Magazine as having been conquered by Trump. Well, in fact, I think Marvin would say something very similar to what I said on Twitter. A very famous Southern Baptist leader wrote in and said, okay, that's it. I give up. I'm canceling my subscription. And I responded to him by saying, don't you think that the current newsroom staff deserves at least an opportunity to show that it it will continue doing the work it's been doing? And Marvin basically put out the same appeal, you know, and said the journalists in this newsroom have been promised that they will get to continue doing their job. I think we at the very least should wait and see if that's true. The issue that appears to have caused the split is one that has to do more with the identity of world as a whole. I think Marvin wanted the primary image of World Magazine to be hard news reporting and the creation of a news and opinion website. And they created this without his permission. And if you read between the lines, it looks like with his opposition. And then they attached to that another person that, quite frankly, I read faithfully and listen to him a lot, have a lot of respect for his commentary, even when I don't agree with it. And that would, of course, would be Al Mohler. And that gets us into another level of this story. One is, obviously, we're talking about one massive talent leaving the World Magazine universe in terms of, as you put it, it's been hard to even think of the magazine without thinking Marvin Alasky, you know, for several decades now. He's been the face of the publication. Well, I think to some degree we have to assume now that the face of the publication now becomes Al Mohler and that news and opinion website. And tragically, we all know that news and opinion is what drives a vast majority of the clicks in the world of the Internet. And clicks and traffic are everything. Now, the irony for me is that in my brain, I can think back to a night almost two decades ago where Marvin and I we had to be on a tour in Greece at the time. We stayed out till they, they closed down a restaurant and pub in Thessaloniki arguing about many of these subjects. And Marvin, to his credit, predicted, he said, the world of the Internet, and specifically the world of social media. And he was speaking as a journalism historian, which is what his Ph.D. is in. Marvin said the world of social media is going to undercut hard news and basic accountability journalism 
and it's going to drive everything more toward uh, opinion-based commentary and reporting. And he and I, of course, disagreed primarily over what you know what constituted Christian journalism. I thought Christians could work in a variety of journalism, including the mainstream press. And Marvin had this very unique vision of directed reporting and biblical objectivity that formed the basis of his magazine and his approach to hard news. I thought his magazine was perfectly valid, and I read it, and I read it now. I just didn't think that was the only or even the primary model for Christian journalism. But like I said, Marvin and I have argued about that for years, and I still have total respect for the man, you know, even when I disagree with him. You had mentioned Albert Moeller, and he is key in the formation of this new wing. We'll call it like an online wing of World Magazine that will depart to a certain degree, if not from Alasky's values, but at least from his vision for World Magazine. And you said it mentioned focuses more on opinion. I'm curious why the New York Times wouldn't simply say, because the New York Times has learned this in the last five years, that that is what drives most of their traffic too, is opinion. Why they wouldn't mention the fact that World's making this move, not as a way to kind of edge Marvin Lasky out, but because that is the, <laughs> that is kind of the future of news and opinion. Well, it is, but at the same time, that reality proves Marvin's main point, which is the identity of the magazine is changing. So that gets us into the, the heart of the tensions. No, I don't think there's any question that that's the heart of this conflict and the fact that they proceeded on that change and that change in the identity of the publication. And like I said, I'm not sure how much of this opinion material will make it into the pages of the magazine. And I certainly at this point don't know if the percentage of opinion in the pages of the dead tree pulp magazine will drive out any of the hard news. I mean, if we look back on this day, say three or four years from now, and the percentage of the magazine dedicated to hard news has declined and the number of pages given to opinion in the magazine has gone up, at that point, I think Marvin's going to be able to say he was tragically vindicated. The other thing, we have to get into some of the content for which has made world controversial and kind of the, the tensions in the New York Times piece concerning Trump. And that's the simple fact that in 2016, Marvin wrote a piece in which he basically argued that Donald Trump was unfit for power in the United States, let alone as president. Oh, two weeks later, he wrote a piece arguing for why Hillary Clinton was unfit for power, just to make sure that nobody had misunderstood him. And this kind of captured the caught-in-the-middle position for many evangelicals at that time, including, ironically, Albert Moeller, who in 2020, Moeller said that his – he kind of said that his opinions of Trump as a man hadn't changed, but that his opinions about where we were in American politics in 2020 had changed, and he recommended people vote for Trump. I think it's also fair to note that when January 6th happened, no one wrote, in my opinion, stronger and more visionary anti-Trump material 
in the wake of January 6th and Albert Mueller. So, I mean, these are people with nuanced positions but caught in the middle. But that 2016 editorial, the New York Times offers a pretty vivid picture of how much it shook the magazine. And at that point, you'd have to say that there were members of the board of this publication that just simply couldn't fathom that kind of criticism of Donald Trump. And the irony of it there, of course, what Marvin would say, I mean, Marvin's been around. This is not his first rodeo. Marvin was simply saying, I'm applying the same standards for morality, strength, and leadership. I'm applying the same standards to Donald Trump that I applied to Bill Clinton. And I don't feel like I can compromise those standards. And, of course, many others made that same argument. But that just went all heck fire broke loose. At the same time, I wanted to give the listeners a couple of examples of other stories that kind of symbolized this. At one point in the New York Times piece, they mentioned the degree to which Olasky had been identified with George W. Bush because Bush, when he was running for governor in Texas, and of course Marvin was at the University of Texas at that time, I believe, or had just left, and Marvin had written the book Compassionate Conservatism. And George W. Bush famously held the book up at one time and you know, really endorsed the book and quoted the book a lot. And a lot of people forget, that's mentioned in the New York Times piece, but a lot of people forget that only like a year later, World Magazine ran a cover story on the failures of the Bush administration to actually live out any of these promises it had made. That might have been one year or maybe two years later. So, I mean, that's an example of kind of Marvin's courage. Some would call it biting the hand that feeds him. I would simply say it's his intellectual courage and consistency. I mean, this is a man who once wrote a piece on how Billy Graham had failed the pro-life movement by not being more explicitly pro-life. I mean, that's taking on a pretty big figure in evangelicalism. Back in 96, this is the publication that broke some of the most embarrassing elements of the divorce of Charles Stanley, the megachurch and two-term Southern Baptist president, pastor in Atlanta. Just the other day, they ran a piece on Paul Presser, who was one of the two men more than any other, one of the two men who led to the return of conservative theology in the Southern Baptist Convention, World ran a piece on the lawsuits accusing Paul Presser of the sexual abuse of men and young men under his care in Houston. I mean, so World has published some stuff that in the world of evangelicalism have really rumpled feathers and... The question is, how much damage did the magazine receive from some, I repeat, some elements of evangelicalism for doing that kind of work, and will it continue? So, Terry, I wanted to talk to you also about this Baptist news story, which is uh, longer than the one in the New York Times, and it's a little more Trump-heavy than the one in the New York Times. What did you make of it? Well, first of all, people need to understand that this is one, frankly, one advocacy website writing about another one. I mean, in this Baptist News Global is the institution that has grown out of the split in the Southern Baptist Convention. 
if Baptist Press is what it is, which is the institutional wire service of the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee and the, the convention itself, Baptist News Global is kind of the rebellious troops in Star Wars. This is the group called the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, and this is a group for whom, just to be honest, and this is the lens through which the whole piece is written, Al Mohler, to this particular group of Baptist writers and editors, I don't think it would be too strong to call him the Antichrist from their perspective. He's an example of someone that used to be considered a moderate Baptist who took a turn further into conservative Calvinism and is now one of the most effective leaders of the conservative element of the Southern Baptist Convention and the leader of the largest seminary now, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. So that's a lot of Baptist politics, but that's exactly the lens through which this piece is written. So from this piece, you know, we say Moeller has completely handed himself over to Trump. And this article is more critical about the changes that have come here than, than Olasky is. I think Olasky would quickly point out that there are some exceptionally fine writers who have been enlisted in this new opinion effort, some of which are people who stand more toward the center of the Trump era and have written pieces that would be considered centrist on a lot of these issues. Andrew Walker would be an example of a byline who's playing a leadership role in this, if I'm, if I'm correct. And no one would consider Andrew Walker to be anyone's idea of a simplistic you know, Trump kingdom guy. So this, this piece goes on and on. Some of it covers some of the territory I did in my own piece, Forget Religion, talking about the philosophy that has guided Marvin Olasky's work as a journalist. And that is, Marvin believes in what he calls biblical objectivity, that you're supposed to do the best you can to report, but you're also supposed to be consistent with the Bible in what you report. That raises a host of questions, especially for free church Protestants. What is the authoritative voice that tells you your interpretation of the Bible is correct? But here's the main point. Marvin has done journalism with an editorial slant and with an editorial point of view. But he has also written entire books on what that point of view is, and he openly states it. I would contrast that with some elements, repeat, some elements of publications such as the New York Times today and, and some other mainstream publications, where in the world of politics and culture, we're reading piece after piece that seem to have a very strong liberal, cultural, and moral bias, but no one is saying that. No one is being honest about what the editorial worldview of the publication is. Marvin, whatever you want to think of him, Marvin has been more than honest and candid about his editorial point of view. He also, is, frankly, has lived a remarkable life. I mean, in the sense that this is a man who was raised as a Jewish atheist Marxist, who in the middle of his Ph.D. dissertation converts to conservative Calvinism. His compassionate conservatism, everybody just says, oh, he wrote a book on it. I think people need to know this is a guy who's been a member of an inner-city church. This is a man and his wife who have taken in numerous foster children and even adopted a few of them. 
I mean, I was at a conference once, and Marvin introduced me to a tall, strapping African-American young man and said, hello, I want you to meet my son, so-and-so, and introduced me to his son who had adopted, and the kid was now at Harvard. That says so much about Marvin, wouldn't you think? I mean, this is a guy who adopts a kid, you know, out of urban Austin, takes him into his family, uh, and I hope my facts are accurate on that. If if he had simply left him at foster child, but he was treating him as a son, and now the kid is at Harvard. I mean, so this is a very, very interesting man, and I think there's a tragic element to this story that listeners should be able to understand, that anytime you have someone who has put 25 or so, 30 years of his life into an institution, to be moved out of it months before he was planning on retiring, he was going to retire next summer anyway, to be moved out of that position by a vote of no confidence on your board, there's just no way this wasn't painful for a lot of people in that institution. Those who backed Marvin and probably even some of those who in the end didn't support him, this had to be very painful. With only a minute here, I'm very interested in one quote in the New York Times piece from Alaski. And to me, it's very telling about his motivation. I'm not interested in the project of a conservative opinion magazine. There are lots out there already, and that's not my vision of world. It sounds like he didn't just want to become another purveyor of conservative opinion, but a purveyor of news. Well, I mean, let me be blunt, and I'll express the way the way I think, if I can speak for him on this occasion. I think he would say, the market for opinion right now has oceans and oceans and oceans of ink, digital or otherwise. There is enough opinion out there to drown us all, including our political culture, from my perspective. Marvin would say his magazine was one of the few in the world of Christian publications and even conservative that was putting a completely different type of copy into the the dialogue. And that was kind of an opinion-framed or an advocacy-framed, an editorial point of view-framed copy, but it was still news. You could read the magazine. You read on-the-record quotes. You read about documents. You read about events. You read about investigative stuff about what's going on everywhere from Afghanistan to all over the world. You, You read this stuff, and it was a type of hard news reporting. And Lord knows we don't have enough of that going on right now. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, thank you very much. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.